You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Hey, y'all. Good morning. How y'all doing this morning? You alive? You're good? All right. Very good. Well, I'm so glad to be with you. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake, and I'm one of the uh, pastors here at Midtown. And um, I got to start us off. I've got a little deep question for you. This is a thinker. Not, not really. It's kind of fun. Um, if someone was going to make a movie out of your life moving forward, and you got to choose the genre of the movie, what genre would you choose? Are you going comedy? Comedy would be fun. Or some of you are thinking romantic comedy, perhaps. Yeah, even better. Or adventure, drama. I know Justin's thinking sci-fi right? If you don't know, Justin Christopher, one of our pastors here, he hates sci-fi movies, and, he, and he's proud of the fact that he hates sci-fi movies, but, but he's probably not going sci-fi. But uh, I wonder how many of y'all would actually choose uh, wartime, uh, wartime action? Is that what you're going? You're thinking, I want Save It Private Ryan. That's put me in the rest of my life. That's the, that's the genre I want to be living in. I, I doubt any of us are thinking that's, that's the go-to, right? Um, and yet, that's actually, as you'll see in the passage we're looking at today, huh. did this fall off? Yeah. Interesting. I chose comedy, I don't know, for the genre. <laughs> so, um, but that's actually, wartime, wartime action is actually, uh, according to the passage we're looking at this morning, the setting of our story. Like, that's the backdrop of the story that we are living in, whether we realize it or not. And the fact is, is that I think most of us don't realize it, or we don't live like we realize it. And that's a problem, because uh, if you are not aware of the fact that you're living in a war, then you will quickly become a casualty of the war that you don't recognize is happening around you. And so I think the passage that we're looking at this morning in Ephesians chapter 6, actually we're closing out the book of Ephesians today. We've been in this study always since the fall, and so this is kind of a big deal. We're wrapping up Ephesians. But in the passage that we're wrapping up this morning, uh, the Apostle Paul kind of brings the book to a close, and he brings up this, this topic of that we are in a war. And he begins telling us with, uh, in verse 10 of chapter 6, who we're fighting against, who we're fighting. And so let me just jump right into it. Verse 10, he says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, I know that for many of y'all, like that sounds, that sounds really weird, doesn't it? It sounds weird, it, it, it sounds maybe scary or spooky or just like, man, I don't know, I'm kind of uncomfortable with that. Some of y'all are thinking, hey, is this, is this when we, we become a weird church? Like, we're becoming a weird church today, aren't are we? I just want you to know that, like, I'm not going to ask you to handle any snakes or anything like that, but, like, it's clear from this passage that the Apostle Paul believed in, that there's this uh, spiritual realm, these different spiritual beings, and, and some of them are these dark forces of evil, that, they're, that they are these uh, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And, like, that might sound really weird to you, but, like, he believed that. And just, just you know, by the way, Jesus believed that as well. 
very clearly in Scripture, and we'll get to more of that in, in a minute. And this is what Paul says. It's that this is who we're battling against. Now, before I get too much, too much further into who we're actually fighting, I do want to draw out real quickly for us who we're not fighting. Because Paul goes out of his way here to say that our war is not, or not fighting against, or struggles not against flesh and blood. So he's saying, hey, our enemy, we're in a war, but our enemy, our opponent, whatever, is, it's not people, okay? It's not people. And we just need to know that because sometimes we can get, especially in the climate today, where it's us versus them in every, every single setting. Like Paul says, we don't have that. As followers of Jesus, our enemy are not people. It's not flesh and blood. Any people. It's not people of a different political party. It's not people who have been vaccinated or have not been vaccinated. It's not people who are of different sexual orientation than us. It's not people of different race. It's not people of a different religion. It's not atheists who have no religion. Like those people, they're not our enemies. You know why they're not our enemies? Because in Scripture, to use Pauline language, those of us who are in Christ are uh, united with God, and those who are not in Christ are captives to this world and to sin and to the evil one who reigns in this day. And you know what? When you're in a battle, you don't fight captives. You fight for captives. You fight their captors. And according to Scripture, the captors is the evil one. It's the devil, it's the demons, and, and it's sin, but it's not people, okay? And when Jesus shows up to do his public ministry, he opens up Luke 4. He quotes from Isaiah. He says, I have come to set the captives free. And now we are invited to join Jesus in that effort to set the captives free. So Paul says, hey, we, we're in a war, but we're not fighting the captives. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. No, it's against these spiritual forces of evil. Now, got that? Okay. Now, it's weird that Paul has to tell us who we're fighting, right? Because usually if you're in a fight, you know who you're, who you're fighting, Right? You don't have to be told who you're fighting. It's like, if I'm in a war, then I know who I am in a war against, right? I mean, that's kind of the idea of war. But um, that's only true if the person you're fighting isn't super sneaky, <laughs> right? Uh, I am living with uh, two middle school boys, my sons, Camp and Enoch. They're right there. And uh, they, <laughs> I had told them I was going to tell the story, and they, they said, only if you're really specific, because here's what's going on in my, my uh, house right now. I have, I have failed to realize now that they're middle, schools, middle schoolers that they think that we are in a constant wrestling match at all times. Like, there's never a time where we're not fighting in their minds. And so, like, I'll just be walking down the hall, minding my own business, and one of them will jump out of nowhere and just punch me right in the stomach. They said they wanted me to get real specific about that part. They're like, yeah, tell them how we get you. So, like, um, <laughs> they'll just punch me right in the stomach. And, like, the only reason that they are able to land a punch in me is because I've got my guard down. I don't know that we're fighting. But as soon as they hit me, I know who I'm fighting, and I know that I will be victorious. That's right, guys. All right? But that's the reason that Paul has to tell us who we're fighting here is that I'm not, okay, let me be clear. I'm not uh, using this illustration to say that my sons are like the devil. They're, they're great, really great. <laughs> but they are sneaky. 
and the, and the devil's sneaky. And that's why he, he's going to tell us that we're in a fight, because he loves to sneak up on us. In fact, just to get to the second point here, like who we're fighting, the next point is like how, how is he fighting us? Like, so who are we fighting? Not people, they're spiritual, but we're instead the spiritual forces of evil. But if the next slide you go to says, uh, next one, or sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm lost in my notes. Yeah, how our enemy fights. How does our enemy fight? And the answer to that is that he fights uh, with these strategies. If you go back to verse 12, I mean 11, it says, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And that word for schemes is the Greek word methodea. And it means methods or strategies or even cunning strategies. See, the reason that we have to be told who we're fighting is because the one that is fighting us is really strategic that he has schemes, he has strategies for one, how to get near to us, and he has strategies for how to harm us once he's near to us. And his strategy for how to get near to us, friends, is like I, it's like I said, it's to sneak up on us. See, in 1 Peter uh, 5, verse 8, the Apostle Peter says this. He says um, uh, that the... Uh, uh, the devil prowls, be alert and so reminded because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And that, that tells me a couple of things, right? Uh, it tells me that uh, the devil, the enemy, he likes, to, he likes to try to sneak up on you. That's why he's fine if you don't know or don't believe that he exists. That actually plays right into his hand. And the other thing that this tells me is that uh, the devil is likened to a lion, which is part of the cat family. And that's why cats are of the, de- of the devil. So that's, that's, very, that's very true, okay? So um, the, in all seriousness, friends, the devil could care less if you believe that he exists. And I know many of you all struggle with believing that. In fact, I, I would say, it's really safe to say that none of us truly believe, like, truly live like we really believe this. That we have an enemy that is after us, that's trying to sneak up on us, to devour us. But the devil could care less whether you believe that or not. It plays right into his strategy, right into his hand. Now, um, it might interest you, though, to know that uh, it's becoming... Um, harder for many even intellectuals to buy into the idea that there isn't some kind of spiritual force of evil. It's, it's pretty interesting. See, in our day, in a very materialistic culture, we, we deny the devil's existence or any kind of this kind of existence because we think, okay, everything has a natural explanation, right? So it's got to have a psychological or sociological, physiological reason for the evil that we see in our day today. And like, so the reason that there's greed or there's war, there's, you know, racism go, go on and on. It's just like, well, we can attribute that to these other factors, not to devil and demons. Like, but, like I said, it, even in the halls of, uh, of, of academia, higher education, that's getting harder to believe. I think uh, Andrew DeBlanco, um, professor at Columbia University, wrote, uh, author of many books, a high intellectual, someone who claims to be, by his own, you know, own title, uh, secular liberal, but he, in his book, wrote years ago called The Death of Satan, 
he, he starts the book off this way. He says, a gulf has opened in our culture between the visibility of evil and our intellectual resources to cope with it. He goes on in the book to, to say this. In the West, we have jettisoned the idea of a cosmic supernatural evil. In fact, we don't even like using the word evil because it implies value judgments and moral absolutes, and so we use medical terminology. We talk about pathology and dysfunction, but it has become harder and harder to say the Holocaust and ethnic cleansing and serial killing are just a result of bad psychological and sociological adjustment. See, uh, it was once widely believed that racism and violence were the result of a lack of education and civility. But then the Holocaust was perpetrated by one of the most advanced and educated cultures in the world. And then along with that, the ongoing racism and mass shootings, among other things, in modern-day America has just caused some within a secular society to realize that they lack sufficient explanations for the evil that exists in our world. But friends, the Bible does not have that problem. See, according to God's word, evil came from the free will of two races of beings that God created, angels and humankind. And some of the angels, according to Scripture, fell by exercising their free will, by turning away from God. And these fallen angels, the devil and his demons, are personal, supernatural beings. But hear this, friends. They are not gods, okay? They they are not omniscient. They don't know everything. They're not omnipresent. The devil is not always around everyone at all times. Like, that's not, they're, they're finite beings, but they turned away from God And they are, according to Scripture, one of the big roots of evil in the world today. The other root of evil is us. For as a result of our own free will, uh, we chose to turn from God and go our own way. And our relationship with God was broken, and sin entered the picture and lodged deep within our heart. And that turn, that sin, turned our hearts inward, and it's made us selfish, and it's made us insecure. And because of this, psychological and sociological and physiological things can affect us, but they're not the root cause of our evil. They aggravate it. They matter. They just don't cause it. What causes when we turned away from God and we went our own way? And so just like these things, sociological factors, physiological, physiological factors, psychological factors can aggravate the selfishness and the insecurity of the human heart, so can the devil and the demons, the supernatural powers, dark supernatural powers of this world. And again, you might not believe all that, but the devil doesn't care. Because he's not looking for your recognition. He's looking for your destruction. Paul says, hey, that's how he's fighting us. He wants to sneak up on you. And then he also says, the devil's got these schemes, these schemes of what he's going to do to you when he gets near to you. And he has one primary, one primary strategy, one primary scheme of how to harm you when he gets near to you. You know what it is? 
It's to lie to you. It's, it's to tell you lies. See, many of you uh, know that Jesus taught that the devil is the father of lies. But did you know that the Greek word that we get devil from is diabolos? And that that word is actually the noun form of a verb that means to lie and to slander. And so from the very beginning of the human uh, story, in the garden, what you see is the enemy showing up. And what does he do? He, he's telling lies. And that's still, friends, that's still his go-to move. Pastor and author Louis Giglio uh, has said, the enemy works in your life by lying. He promises things he can't deliver. He challenges God's truth. He attacks God's character and intentions. The enemy says things such as, surely God's holding out on you. You can't trust him. He essentially told Eve, if you eat from this fruit, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. The quote continues, it says, the enemy appeals to your basic human needs. We all have the needs for acceptance, worth, satisfaction, and happiness. The enemy constantly extends a lie. Hey, this is what you need to fulfill your needs. Take a bite. You deserve to be happy. See, most of us in the West wouldn't attribute much to the devil unless we saw someone's head turn all the way around and then spew vomit. But that's not actually the devil's go-to move. He is a liar, which is why the schemes of the devil don't leave stretch marks on your neck, but lies embedded deep within your heart. And just to be clear, I'm not saying that he's audibly talking to you when he does this. That's not the norm. <laughs> Instead, he prefers to stimulate talk that goes on in your heart. And this is important for you to hear. He does that in your heart because the primary battleground of this war is your heart. The war that's being waged is being fought over the hearts of humankind. That's the battleground. See, friends, we, we have an enemy it's who we're fighting, and he's wise, he's strategic, he schemes, he's cunning, he gets, he's got ways to get near to you, and he's got ways to, to harm you. So then we need to ask, okay, well, then how do we fight back? How do we engage in this fight? Well, listen, if the battleground of this fight is our heart, then it would make sense that one of the ways that we're going to engage in this battle is to actually put on some armor. To, to guard us, to keep the enemy from getting in to our heart, to penetrate our heart. And so in this passage, Paul actually lays out three ways that we're going to engage in this fight. And the first way is this, to put on the armor of God. You go back to verse 11. He says, put on the full armor of God, like protect your heart so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And then skip down to verse 13. He says this, therefore, again, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, stand. So you think, okay, well, all right, Paul, what, what is this armor that you're talking about? Well, he tells us in verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. 
Now, what's he talking about here, right? Like, okay, it's quite the metaphor, and what are all these significance, all these different pieces, and all that kind of stuff? Like, what is this armor? Well, it's helpful for me, like, when I, I can get lost in this a little bit, right? It's helpful for me when I, I just realize that Paul is not introducing new content right here at the very end of his letter. It's not like he just remembered before he was pinning the conclusion, and he's like, oh, yeah, I forgot to say, uh, there's really important armor pieces, and you should put those things on. <laughs> that's, that's not what he's doing here. What he is doing here is he's using this metaphor to drive home what he's been talking about in this entire letter. That he is saying, again, as a way in light of this war that we're in, he says, okay, the stuff I've been talking about in this entire letter, the gospel truths that he's laid out for us, he's saying, you need to put those on. It's Ephesians chapter 4. He's talking about put on the new man. This is another way to say it. You've got to put on the gospel because this is what's going to protect you from the enemy's attacks, keeping him from getting into your heart for he knows that when the truth of the gospel have fortified you the enemy cannot get through to devour you with his lies so paul says we need to put on the full armor of god and god's armor consists of if you don't get lost in all of the what's the breastplate and why is that why is it considered that the breastplate and then what's the feet you know and the shoes and all if you just look at what he's talking about take these words if you go back to the passage i highlighted them for us we're talking about god's truth it's the armor of god so it's god's truth It's God's righteousness. It's God's peace that comes from the gospel. It's God's salvation that we all have through faith. That's what he's talking about. He's going back to Ephesians 1 and 2. He's saying, okay, here, here, here's what you need to put on. You need to remember that you have been blessed with every blessing in the heavenly realms. And that in God, what he has done for you, you now are holy and blameless, adopted into the very family of God. And because of that, you have his righteousness, Jesus' righteousness. So put that on. And in addition, you also, Ephesians chapter 2, have peace with God because of what Jesus did for us to reconcile us to God. We have peace with God. We can have peace with one another because of Jesus. Put on that peace. Walk in that peace. Because why? Because through faith in him, you have been saved by his grace, not by your works, lest any of us boast. He's going back to Ephesians 1 and 2. He's saying, put this on, friends, because this is how we stand against the enemy's attacks. Um, I think that the metaphor of the armor is helpful, especially to drive home this point. That when you are in battle and you are a soldier, how often do you put on armor? Every day, right? Like every day you're going to battle, you're going to put that armor on, right? Friends, how often do you put this armor on? See, many of us, we function this way. We, we We believe that if you're a Christian... You have believed that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and he rose again, defeating sin and death to make the way for you to be reconciled to God. Your faith is in him and what he has done for you. And at that moment, one-time event transferred from life, I mean from death to life, from dark to light. At that moment, you're adopted into the family of God. You are reconciled to God. It's a one-time thing that's sealed forever by the Spirit of God. Awesome. But we think that once we believe that, we can leave that behind. Yeah, I believe that. And then I'm just going to go do all this kind of stuff. 
Paul says, no, 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 no. That's true. That is a one-time thing. You don't have to believe the gospel, put the gospel truths on every day in order to still be reconciled to God. Done deal by Jesus. But if you want to stand against the enemy's attacks, who's looking to attack you every day or at least any day, then you got to be ready every day. Why? Or how? By putting these truths on again. By remembering who God is what he's done and who you are as a result that we can go and live in light of all of those truths and we can fight in light of all of those truths my friends real practically speaking for me this looks like starting my day with the bible open and in prayer and i ask myself three or really four questions And the first question is what I just said. I ask myself, who is God? And I go to the gospel for the clearest answer of that. Then I ask myself, what did he do for me? Again, that's captured most clearly in the gospel. And then I ask myself, who am I as a result? So I'm beloved, I'm adopted. I'm forgiven, valuable. You know, we just go on and on. And then I ask, okay, how will I live today in light of these things? I need to do that every day. It's me, it's how I put the armor of God on. And it keeps me safe from the enemy's attacks. Because where I don't, I'm not fortified in the gospel, I am exposed to the flaming darts of the enemy. His lies will penetrate my heart. But you need to do that. Are you putting on the armor of God? Are you putting on the armor of God? Not just have you, but are you day after day? That's how we engage in this fight. Second way we engage in this fight is that we pick up the sword of the Spirit. Okay? Sword of the Spirit, which, as he says, is the Word of God. Um, that's verse 18. Now listen. Um, verse 17. Now think about this. How did Jesus uh, combat the devil when he was tempted in the wilderness? Y'all remember that? The temptations from the devil comes uh, three different times. Jesus combats with three three different times. He quotes scripture. After the third time, the devil turns and leaves. Friends, your ability to personally fight back in this war that's being waged over your heart and the hearts of the people around you is directly proportional to your knowledge and obedience to God's word. It really is. And I'm just concerned as your pastor some of y'all are walking around with empty sheaths. You have no sword. You have no way to fight back. That at best, your only understanding and exposure to God's word is what you get right now on Sunday morning. Guys, that's going to be a flimsy sword. I'll do my best to teach you God's word, but you gotta, you got to spend time in it personally. And so you're reading God's word. 
Are you obeying God's word? Are you meditating on God's word? Are you memorizing God's word? How else are you going to know what the truth is? How are you going to know and be able to see through the devil, the enemy's lies? I mean, if you're just left to think, okay, well, I'll figure out what's right or wrong based off my own gut feelings. Like I got a, my internal compass, right? I'm just kind of listening what feels right to me. Or are you going to be reliant on culture, the whims of the day, or your friends, or your professors, or whoever that you say, okay, their voice is loud in my mind, so they're going to let them determine how I live. Or are you going to go to the God of the universe? The one who created you, who is all wise and perfectly good. And say, God, help me know how to live. That's what are you doing? Are you in his word? It's a key way to engage in this war. Um, finally, the third way that we're to engage in this fight is by calling out to God in prayer. It's by calling out to God in prayer. If you go uh, back right before verse 18, he say, he's just laid out, put on the armor of God, and then he talks about taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And then the very next thing he says is this, and pray, and pray, and pray, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray, pray, pray. I think the main reason Paul brings up spiritual warfare in the close of this letter it's because he's trying to help people see how much we need God. We cannot battle on our own. We need his strength. We need his mighty power to stand. We need his armor to stand. We need his word to fight back. And most of all, friends, we need him, right? We need him. See, if you're in a battle against a very strong enemy, but God is literally on your side, you would do well. You would be wise to call out for him. <laughs> Cry out to him. God, come help me. God, I need help. Come rescue me. Deliver me. Friends, are you praying? Are you praying? Are you praying all kinds of prayers and requests for all of the Lord's people? Are you praying for you? Are you praying for the people in your life? I'll just be honest with you. Like, I... I would ask, like, are you praying for me? So I can really use your prayers. Because this, this, this message has been really uh, good for me. <laughs> but it's been hard because I resonate with it. That this is not um, abstract. There's been uh, six, seven weeks now. Life has just been extremely difficult. And I would say I have been under attack. Yes, we need to be praying for one another because we are in a war. But we got God on our side. And so we should call out, God, come help. And he's happy to because guess what? The reason we can stand, and that's repeated again and again and again in this passage. Stand, stand, stand. The reason we can stand instead of run away, run away, yeah, surrender. is because the victory is God's. The victory is Jesus's. And so we call out for him, and he comes, and we can have victory. Mm. Yes, are we praying? See, that's how we engage in this fight. We put on God's armor. 
the truth of the gospel. We take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and we cry out to God in prayer. Are you engaging? Okay, now I'm going to wrap up, but before I do, let me just reemphasize one more thing, and that is why we are fighting, right? Because uh, I want it to be clear in our minds that we are not fighting just because we have an enemy. Now, we're, fight, we, we're fighting, and really, we have an enemy because there's actually something worth fighting for that the enemy opposes. And Paul gets into it in 19 and 20. He says this, Pray also for me, for whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, and pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. You see, friends, the reason why we fight is, as I said, it's because there's a battle being waged over the hearts of men and women and children. And when we, and we are called to join forces or to partner with God in that fight see, that the, so that the gospel is proclaimed and captives are set free. Paul here is a captive. He has written this book that we've been studying, the letter of Ephesians. He's written it from jail. But he doesn't see himself as a captive, but an ambassador in chains, a representative of God with the job to proclaim the one message that has the power to set captives free. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, we fight because people matter to God. And they, just like us, need the gospel in order to be set free and to be able to stand against the enemy's schemes. And so for God's glory and the eternal good of the people in our lives, we fight by standing firm in the gospel and declaring the gospel fearlessly as we should. Friends, I, I really pray. I've been praying and I'm praying now. About to pray again. That God is speaking to you this morning. Like, I really hope he's getting through to you. I hope he is waking you up to the reality that we are in a war against a strategic and crafty enemy that wants to devour you. And I hope you realize that because of Jesus, we have all we need in order to stand and fight and win. For the victory is already his, but Friends, you have to walk in that. You have to put that on, these gospel truths. And so I hope that you will. I hope that you will put on the arm, full armor of God. And that you would take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And that you would pray and pray and pray. So that you can partner with God as he, in his eternally significant fight. So we can set even more captives free. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. God, I just recognize that we as a church and me personally, like I got a lot of room to grow in this. That I just I don't know, it's scary or I just don't like it's heavy or whatever, but I just don't want to think about spiritual attack and all this kind of stuff. So Oh, God, would you, would you help me, help us be wise?
to actually hear from your word and believe that it's true and live accordingly. And that we would engage in this fight with you. That we would stand in your mighty power and strength. That we would put on the full armor of God, these gospel truths. That we would do this on a daily basis. That we would take up the word of God. That we would see that we don't just, reading the Bible is not just a good thing to do. It's an actual means of survival. God, would we also pray out, pray to you, call out to you in dependence, recognizing our need. And then, God, we pray that you would have victory that you have, that we would see it on our day-to-day basis, and, Lord, that we would join you in setting captives free. God, grow us in this. We need you. In Christ's name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.